Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about sex education. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she/her pronouns. I'm Micah Silver, and I'm a childcare provider, and I use they/them pronouns. And we're back with part five of our "As Told by Ginger" series. We're getting into season, season two. two. Sorry, that was weird. Again, we always recommend you watch these gingers, but in case you didn't. Here's the plot of these five episodes. Episode one of season two, Darren gets his headgear removed and becomes popular overnight. And it shakes up the whole friend group and the dynamic at school. In episode two, the girls' gym class has to watch a film about puberty. All while this is happening, Carl and Hoodsy are trying not to take showers during gym class. In episode three, Ginger is annoyed at being called a nice girl for too long, so she crashes a high school party, where as a result, she gets a reputation for being fast for making out with a boy. In episode four, Lois is out of work due to a nurse's strike, and Ginger helps her start cleaning houses and has to deal with the stigma around that. And in episode five, uh, Courtney and Miranda get into an argument in gym class and they have a friend breakup. And so Miranda falls in with our our normal friend group and uh, switches up the dynamic a little bit. As always, follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Anthro267. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. And as always, thank you and enjoy. Did you have braces growing up? I did, yeah. Not very long. When did you get your braces? <coughs> I think I was, it was definitely later than almost everybody else. I was like 14, I think. But I only had them on for like a year. Mm, I got mine my senior year. What? That's fucked. Yeah, I got mine my senior year and I had them on for two and a half, three years. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I was mad. I was real yeah, mad. Yeah, how, how would you not, doesn't everybody get braces in like middle school once all your teeth come in once all your adult teeth come in my mom is scared of the dentist uh, <laughs> yet another story about how we pass on our anxieties and traumas to our children love that big fan a plus kelly <laughs> at least that's what i've been told also braces are expensive and right, insurance totally, doesn't totally. always cover them and i'm sure there are other factors but as a kid like as a senior getting braces, it's just like Yikes. Come After all on. your friends got their braces off yeah. like the year before or before, you know, like earlier. Like I was just coming to accept, all right, I'm just gonna have crooked gonna teeth. Have that's fucked fine. Up teeth and that's fine. Nope. Yeah. I really I uh really related to Darren's like, oh, you're suddenly you're a lot more attractive because you don't have yeah. braces or headgear. I was like I remember that feeling. <laughs> it's also kind of like, um, I feel like there's this this thing that happened to Darren specifically where, like, you can grow up and, like, become attractive without anybody actually seeing you if yeah. the thing they see is, like, this big metal right. thing on your head. So, yeah, it's like the last time anybody saw Darren without headgear on, maybe he wasn't attractive. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's a, grown, he's a growing man now. <laughs> Our little budding preteens. Yeah. 
Because he, I mean, he's straight up handsome. He looks great. He's got cheekbones. I mean. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and this, Get like, it, great, like, long, square head. Killing it. Well animated. <laughs> this is, but, like, this is the dream that all adolescents have. Oh, absolutely. Right? That, like, this is the, the fantasy that the, there's just one obstacle in between you and being fame, not famous, and being popular, popular and being one of the cool kids and being well liked. And if you could just get rid of that one thing, it would fix everything. When I was a kid, it was being fat. Yeah. I always thought, like, if I just wasn't fat, if I was just thin, then people would like me and I could have friends and people would invite me to parties and stuff. But, like, it doesn't actually work. No, it does not. Well, except for being fat, it kind of does work that way because we live in such a fatphobic culture. Yeah. That people, like, genuinely don't like being around fat people because we make them uncomfortable. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. But yeah, I like definitely like how I I like to dub these little transformation Cinderella effects of like, you just need to like be noticed by the right people yeah, or like be pretty enough for one day to like win everybody over. And it doesn't doesn't work work that that way. way. I do appreciate that they had him get caught up in the popularity of it all. And like, cause it is a head rush and it is like, you know, like, anyone who does anything on stage will let you t- will tell you that of yeah. like you know having everyone's attention is kind of like oh boy yeah and not having that and all of a sudden having a huge dose of it i'm sure is just very overwhelming totally yeah i say never experiencing it i mean i was like i mean i think it's been pretty well established that i was like kind of a boring nerd kid but mm-hmm. Like, you are absolutely right. Like, when I started doing comedy, especially when I had been doing it a few years and I started, like, actually writing material and actually getting laughs, it truly is a transformative experience. You feel like, I can't even go back to being that person because this need for attention, like, this kind of attention is so intoxicating Yeah, you can't can't not you know go after it that totally makes sense it totally makes sense i mean i mean also comedy is kind of its own weird roller coaster where it's like a little bit like having a gambling addiction right where like part of the part of the addiction is the uncertainty like sometimes you show up and you do your best work and you just fucking roll like you just crap out right and you lose it all and then sometimes you show up and you feel like shit and you're kind of hungover and you do a half-assed job and you fucking hit one over the, over, you know, out of the out of the park. Yeah. Like, it's just uh, the randomness is part of the appeal. <laughs> makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never been like, like, if I ever was on stage, it was always on the ensemble or something. So, like, I never, like got the like stage high yeah but you know i i can i got techie high <laughs> that counts that's a different that's like a job well done kind yeah, of thing yeah. though but yeah can we talk about who how higsby is a little sociopath he, he's the uh sweater vest uh wearing monkey owning little shit oh right right with i'm the just monkey. an annoying boy but now i'm an annoying boy with a monkey right yeah <laughs> he's like kind of a nightmare child he is and he like says this line of like 
H- Hoodsy and Carl are like trying to tell him like that the monkey isn't happy or whatever, and he's like, I don't care. Yeah. The monkey is mine, and he will stay with me right. because it's what makes me interesting. Right? Enough. It's not about the monkey; it's about which, me and my identity. Which, like, I don't trust a lot of people. I don't trust men who wear sweater vests because <laughs> they're usually serial killers. <laughs> What a weird stance. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, though. I mean, I, I'm not thinking of an example where you're wrong. <laughs> Envies and queers in sweater vests? Different. Get it. Totally different. Men in sweater vests? You are hiding bodies. <laughs> I will die on that hill. Yeah, it's just like the the lengths that children will go to to be interesting and cool and right? popular. It's... Like, you know abusing an animal (laughs) it's uh yeah it's interesting that 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 currency is like so strong and so uh, motivating right and then we had to go and introduce social media to teenagers oh my god i can't it's got to be so much worse now it's got to be so much worse because like not only do you have to worry about how popular you are like in school you also have to worry about how many fucking instagram followers you have yeah like which like every moment in my life that i have worried about how many instagram followers i have has been a worse moment than (laughs) all of the other ones Yeah, I was gonna say, like... (laughs) Made my life collectively worse. Really does. Have you ever had friends that got popular and, like, kind of drifted away from you? Yeah. Or were your friends not cool enough? I guess when I was really young, like, the kids who lived in my neighborhood were my friends. Right. When I was little, just because of proximity. And then when middle school came... It turned out that a lot of those kids were, like, actual cool kids. Yeah. And they had just been putting up with me because I lived close by. Yeah. But I don't think it was ever a question to me that those people would have left me behind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's an interesting, like, it's definitely, like, an experience that, like, I can relate to of, like, watching your friends get popular or at least, like, get more notoriety within the school. and like feeling like you aren't there's something wrong with you that you aren't going up with them or like you aren't able to keep up and as i think they did a really good job of illustrating that in this first episode yeah it is and it's like it's so devastating when it happens because your social group is like the center of your universe right when you're a kid and then to have something like that happen where somebody leaves the group it is like really earth shattering yeah yeah, friend breakups and, like, friends changing is one of the hardest things and, when you're a kid. Yeah, especially because, like, we don't have good models for how to deal with it in the same way that we have with romantic relationships. Right. I think because we just don't prioritize platonic relationships in the same way. We do not, and it is a shame. Platonic relationships are just as important. And then the second episode of this... Uh, run is just basically all about puberty and oh, the discomfort of learning about puberty. My goodness. Okay. Were gym uniforms a thing at your school? Yeah. We did not have gym uniforms. I had gym uniforms starting in like fifth grade. I have never had a gym uniform. I've had sports uniforms. 
but never. I mean, like, yeah, there was no, there was it, a required... It, said, it was, like, a red t-shirt, and it said, like, uh, town, area, high, like, yeah. Department of Education or whatever, and it had a big blank white space in the middle where you wrote your name on it so the gym teacher never had to learn your name, and they would just look at your shirt and yell your name at you. And then black shorts. Because those are my school colors. Jesus fucking Christ, that sounds like a nightmare. From fifth grade on, we had to wear, like, that was exact the same uniform in gym class. Like we Until to- I was a senior, and then I took all the weirdo gym classes, like, fucking kayaking and rock climbing and shit that didn't make you do that stuff. Yeah, we were supposed to, ch- we had we were supposed to have gym clothes that you could like move around and like you know not jeans and whatever and tennis shoes but like we they were not provided to us yeah i don't remember if they were provided to us or if we had to go buy them i think we had to go buy them but, but they had to be those specific ones which seems kind of fucked up now yeah. that i think about it yeah anyway <laughs> yeah i also like Never was it, like, a requirement to shower in front of people that you weren't... No. You were allowed to. Plus, my middle school did not have showers. Yeah. Mine did, because it used to be the high school. Yeah, I don't think the... I think the only time we had to shower was, like, after, like, we did our swim. Yeah. Because of, like, bleach and stuff. Yeah, we were supposed to... Like, we were supposed to rinse off or, like, shower. Which, like... Is so much easier when you have a swimsuit on. And, right, because like, you, you have to rinse the swimsuit off anyway. Right, and it's just like, I I also like, Hoodsy's mom in this episode was like the worst. Because um, she like, Hoodsy like comes to her and is like, I'm anxious and ashamed about changing in the locker room. And her response is, you should be. Like right, bodies are shameful. Don't look at it. You're correct. Your like, father still changes in the closet, even though we've been married for 22 years. Yikes! Let's unpack that for a minute. Holy shit! You are so uncomfortable with your body that you can't even let your wife see you naked. Like what? Wow. wow, men are not okay. No, <laughs> no. Don't tell your children they should be ashamed of their body because they shouldn't be. Bodies are good. All bodies are good. Uh, yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand where it comes from. It's this fucking puritanical Christian idea that, like, all humanity is evil and inherently sinful. And the only thing that can save you from that inherent human bodily sin is, you know, the Christian God. That sounds um, like some bullshit. It is. And it's really, really toxic. And it's just kind of an evil message to send that, like, everything, literally everything around you, everything you encounter, including your thoughts and your physical body, are evil. And they are the reason that you are going to be tortured forever. That just, like, takes the enjoyment out of everything. Yeah. That's You're, the idea. Why... I don't understand. Like because fear is the greatest motivator around and if you want people's money you got to scare them. Yeah, that's true. But like I feel like when you're talking about that kind of body shame stuff, it's so hard not to talk about the religious Oh component. my god, it like feeds into it so much. And like it's one of those things too that like 
she obviously like doesn't even think about what she's telling her kid and right. like how it would affect them yeah. and like parents do this all the time where they say shit that they you know that reveals like how they feel about themselves and like how they their relationship with their body works and they expect children not to catch it or they don't think right. that children will catch it or don't even think how it will right. impact their children and it is like kids see that shit kids yeah. absorb that shit and it can trigger and feed into a lot of really right. awful behavior and like kids are so much more like uh, for lack of a better word, like, absorbent. Yes. Then we give them credit for. Like, even if you are not consciously trying to give your kid, like, your anxieties and your hang-ups and your disorders or whatever, like, if you are still, like, doing those behaviors in front of a chi- your child or, like, asking those same behaviors of your child, then... Your kid's going to pick, like, they get it. They can do math. They'll figure out what the motivating factor underneath there is, right? Yeah. They're not stupid just because they're not fully developed yet. Kids are super, like, it's kids' jobs to be observant and take in the world around them. And they catch everything. Everything. And so, like, if you aren't unpacking your own shit, you're just going to push it onto your child. Right. I don't remember being scared of puberty. I don't remember this, like fundamental fear about learning about how our bodies change uh-uh. i remember it being annoying yeah i remember i remember it being embarrassing i remember it being embarrassing but like i don't remember anyone being terrified like macy is i do i remember people being terrified i remember people being i mean i'm from a much more conservative place that's than you true are, but like i mean probably a quarter of my class just like got signed out of it because their Christian parents didn't want them to know how human bodies work. And then, yeah, plenty of people like fucking freaked out and were kind of difficult about it the whole time because that like shame stuff is so ingrained. I, wild. I like, I, not that I, I believe you. It's like, totally like something that i could see happening and i can like understand where that's coming from but it just like was not something that i remember running into yeah and yeah it might have been where you grew up that's true Um, i also yeah i also got start like i was very desensitized to it by the time me too that it happened in school i do remember my seventh grade class all getting traumatized by watching a video of someone giving birth. Yeah, I never had the live birth video. Missed that, dodged that particular bullet. uh, Yeah, I remember that. That is seared into my head for the rest of my life. I think that's a thing that people need to see. I think it's just a scare tactic to get children to not have sex. absolutely a scare tactic. Because, like, I don't think... There's nothing especially informative about watching a childbirth happen. Like, if you are familiar with the mechanics of how giving birth to a child occurs, then watching the actual act adds basically nothing to the experience, except that they want you to be afraid of, you know, all the pain and the viscera and 
all that stuff. Yeah, I think people, that people staring at your at your bits, even though that's totally not a thing that we should do or is necessary, and it actually makes it harder to give birth anyway. It's not a big deal. Again, because of a man's kink, we have to put people with uteruses through more pain. Right. When people with uteruses deliver babies a lot quicker and more effectively squatting than mm-hmm. they do laying down. Yeah. I remember a lot of scare tactics in... That was most of my yeah for sure. I remember very minimal, like label like be familiar with the sparts and then just like here's three weeks on stds and that was basically me too you know must have been a, there must have been a single wisconsin uh unified wisconsin curriculum on that stuff because that was pretty much it it was like two days of here's all the parts and then three weeks of like slides of what horrible stds can look like yeah i remember we had someone come in to talk to us about aids which was like you know pretty big because like they're talking about it at least yeah but i remember it being very much against scare tactics like uh i did it because i was using i got it because i was using drugs and you know all of that and like not even unpacking the history or the you know genocide it caused yeah but just like you could die right it's constantly all scare tactics yeah and then within like <laughs> because it was a health and wellness class like the first half was just scare tactics on why you shouldn't have sex and the other half was just body shaming you to get into more shape yeah yeah like we had to do certain like if you can't do these sit-ups you are not healthy and oh that's you... that like presidential fitness yeah. test shit which if you don't know about how bullshit the presidential fitness test is we should check out a little podcast called maintenance phase it's about diets diet culture and it's amazing and uh they have like a whole 90 minute episode about it yeah it's awful it's yeah it's bad it's it's bad yeah did I... you i just remembered just now that this was a thing that we had and I want to know if this is a universal thing or a rural thing. Did your... As I'm saying it, I think I know the answer to this question. Did your high school have an abstinence advocacy team that went around to tour middle schools to talk to them about abstinence? Because, spoiler, mine did. Not that I'm aware of, but it wouldn't surprise me if we did. <laughs> I just remembered that that was a thing that happened. That we had a bunch of like 16, 17, and 18 year olds touring to talk to 12 and 14 year olds about how cool it was to not have sex. See, ours was more about drugs, I think. Like, most of our sex ed was abstinence only and like be scared. And then I remember like we there was a traveling like high school group, but it was more about like anti bullying, don't just say no yeah all the classic psa bullshit yeah and i think there was like a underlying abstinence only kind of idea behind it but i don't remember a specific group interesting yeah but I, it would not surprise me i just me. had like a real vivid memory of them like standing in front of our class and doing like sketches and shit to teach us like how to say no to sex yeah i just remember yeah now i'm thinking about it like so much of my sex ed was just like strategies to avoid having sex we've talked about this before <laughs> and we will probably talk about it again but abstinence only education does not work it just makes kids have less safe sex that's all it does you want to stop teen pregnancies 
give them access to birth control, give them access to education, and teach them how to let you just teach them like, safe practices. We all we talk about this all the time. Like the forbidden fruit is always more tempting than the one than the common one. Yeah. Right. Like if you talk about sex with your kids all the time, not that whatever in an appropriate manner like if you talk if you make sex a regular conversation with your kids then it's not this like fascinating thing that they have to rush out and do and nor is it this scary thing that no one ever talks about but that is this sort of like shrouded part of adult life it can just be a thing like going to the grocery store is a thing about being an adult and it's not especially exciting although sometimes it can be right much like sex in that you know, it's a thing you do, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's not. But it's not the end all, the be end all, and be all of your existence. And nor is it like a terrifying, you know, life changing, life altering event. Yeah, yeah. I oh. also teach queer sex. Yeah, because like, even if they don't know it, there's a lot of queers in your classes. Yeah, and destigmatizing queer sex is going to save a lot of people a lot of pain. Well, because I think a big part of, of, of homophobia is just a lack of understanding and, like, yeah, a lack of understanding of what gay sex and gay relationships involve. Yeah. Right? Like, I... This is gonna... This is fucking terrible and gross, but, like, I know for a fact that a lot of men don't like gay men because they don't like the idea of having things in their butt. Yeah. Which is so dumb and reductive on so many levels. Like, not all gay sex is anal sex. And, like, not all gay people even have anal sex. And also, like, being gay is a lot... is about a lot more than having sex. What are you talking about? It's 24-hour orgies all the time. But also, also, like, like, why are you so afraid of a part of your body, right? Like, there, as Dan Savage is a fan of saying, there's no button in your butt that turns you gay. There's, there's not, not? I've been looking at the wrong button? God damn it! There's not a switch up there that, like, if you put a thing in your butt, you'll suddenly be like, boop, 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 boop. I'm a queer now. <laughs> Like, it doesn't, it's not a mushroom. It doesn't work that way. No. And I, I do think that a lot of it, like, comes back to this lack of body comfort. Like, if we just made people more comfortable with their bodies from an earlier age, then this sort of, like, fear part of it wouldn't happen as much. And to your point, like, if we taught what queer sex is and what queer right. relationships look like, they wouldn't be so strange and scary. I also think that part of the fear around masculine people and queerness is the not wanting to be under the male gaze because they know right. how toxic it is. Yeah. It's, and, it's, I don't want men to treat me the way I treat women. Right. Right. Which... It says a lot about how you treat women. Yeah. Also, the whole point is you're not a woman. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I just think, like, men just can't envision anything 
that doesn't revolve around them. No, and I also think that a lot of cis straight men are just really lazy and don't know how to have good sex and are afraid to expand and or explore their world of options and therefore the again we have the fear of the unknown and the someone else can do it better yeah yeah because if we look at the studies it is proven that straight cis men do not know what they are doing no no because we know that women in heterosexual relationships are not having orgasms most of the time (laughs) and women in gay relationships basically all the time (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like men are the problem. <laughs> I love when science is on our side. It's the same thing with parenting, by the way. When you do study, like, when people have tried to do studies to, like, prove that gay people make better or worse parents, it actually has nothing to do with the sex of your parents, and it has everything to do with how many women are in your home. <laughs> so... So, so, like, two gay dads, you're just as fucked up as... Right, right. So, like, if you have a single parent, if it's your dad, you're kind of in trouble. If it's your mom, you're probably fine. If you have two parents, one of either sex, you're probably fine. If you have two gay dads, eh, <laughs> I mean, gay parents in general are better than straight parents across the board because we can't get pregnant on accident. Right, we, so like, we don't, put in effort. We don't have shitty parents. Only right. people who are really motivated become parents. But if you have two moms, if you have gay moms, then you are the best, most adjusted child that exists. I wonder if it's true for, like, uh, uh, kids who have, like, a mom and a stepmom. Or, like, you yeah, know, like, have two other, like have multiple moms in their life for other reasons than queerness because like it it happens and it exists and i know that would be really interesting because like again divorce households can be tricky for kids but also having that extra maternal figure yeah and anyway i have questions about the studies and i want to read more about them it's just interesting that yeah yeah the whole thing is like well gay people can't raise kids and it's like Like, well actually it turns out we're better at it than you yeah (laughs) we fucking want it yeah right again don't take your shit for granted straights yeah there's a lot of privilege there do you think carl has a needs to have a hustle for money or do you think he just wants to be famous because i think it's just famous i don't think he sees it as a money hustle i think he sees it as a I want notoriety. Yeah, because we've talked before on this show about how I kind of think that Carl's hustle thing is kind of gross and yeah. toxic. But I I want to agree with you, but I'm not sure if it's if that's the intention or if just he's too young for the money part to really register for uh, that's true because carl and hoots here are supposed to be what nine ten fifth grade so fifth, yeah yeah fifth grade so ten um yeah i mean i guess at ten you know what money is but like you don't really have a concept of money yeah like as someone who spent a lot of time around rich 10 year olds it's weird yeah. they like know money and like they know <laughs> Families, remember, if you don't want to rub your financial status in people's faces, don't let your kids hear how rich you are, because they will repeat it back to you. They know. They can hear you. Yeah. They're not stupid. They will tell your teachers how much money you have in your bank account, and then remind your teachers how poor you they are. Uh, Honestly, no. More people should talk about how much money they make so we know whose organs to eat. That's true. Yeah, I got a few parents on my list that I want to eat first. 
you could have paid me twice as much, motherfucker. Right, especially when you're a teacher and you're like, oh, great, I'm working a 60-hour week busting my butt to teach your kids and I'm making $30,000 a year and you literally sit in an office and yell at other people to do work and you made $200,000 last year. I had eight-year-olds with more money in a bank account than I did at times. <laughs> That's terrible. Eight-year-olds don't need that kind of money. No. <sighs> but yeah, I... I also think Carl's like need for a hustle is like... Just out of sheer boredom. Yeah, I, I do think you're right. He definitely has, like, gifted kid syndrome. Yeah. Where he, it seems to be less of a money thing and more of just, like, I'm bored and yeah. I need something to do to put my energy into. Yeah, school's not doing it and yeah. I don't, like, I don't want to do it, so let me do this. And he does, like, this is also why a great example of why we need to help kids specialize their education. Totally. Because Carl could be going, you know, you could be teaching him, like, start teaching him about business and having those skills built, or you can let him dive into the culinary world more, or dive yeah. into science more, and, like, follow those passions, and, like, start building an educational base that he can actually use, right. instead of being forced to... Uh, uh, sit through a class right that and honestly, doesn't help him. because that type of education reflects more what the modern world really is right then like no one's gonna sit you down and grill you on like um you know the dates of the revolution the dates of the battles of the revolutionary war right. or like how to do long division in the modern world, but, you know, you are at some point going to be expected to be, you know, some kind of expert in some kind of field, because that's basically the only way to get a job now. Yeah. So why not let kids just start, like, you know, specializing and figuring things out early? And if they decide that's not what they want to do, then great. They learned a bunch of skills that maybe they can apply to something else at some point. Teach kids how to learn they will do better than if you force kids to memorize. Right. Because the whole thing about living is you have to learn and adapt and keep going. And if you don't teach those skills, you get men. Well, and the problem, too, with, like, the school structure is, like, people always taught me that school teaches you to learn, but, like, high school certainly doesn't. It teaches you to be talked at by some sort of, like, authority figure. But, like, research projects teach you how to learn. Like, I, you know, like, when you're in college and somebody says, write me a 12-page paper on the Persian Empire, you know, or whatever. Right. Like, that's when you learn how to learn stuff because you have to seek out the knowledge yourself. I learned more in... I learned how my brain worked better in art classes than in math classes because of how the assignments were structured. Yeah. And it is so ridiculous that it is a one-shaped yeah. force your kids to be molded into tiny little business bees. Yeah. Because motherfuckers, the, we don't need a world full of business bees. No. There are so many things to do. There are so many fun things to do. Just let kids have fun. Right. Yeah, and let kids pursue their passions. Yeah. Like, so what? Just like, I mean, yeah, I feel like yeah. so many adults have their passions squashed out of them 
as children for the like, oh, grow up, that you don't need to learn that. You need to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. But I also think this also comes back to your point of like our hustle culture is super toxic because it really boils down to how many of us as adults have been like, oh, I find this really passionate. Like I'm very passionate about the subject. How can I get money out of it? Right. So like we do the same things to children of like, oh, you're really passionate about space. Well, you better stick with it for 15 years so, so you, you can, can make it make money out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, again, forcing kids to tunnel themselves into like letting kids follow their passions is so much different than like tunneling them into a certain path because they have the option to be like, Nope, I don't like this anymore. Versus if you keep just like pressuring them and pressuring them and pressuring them, they're going to end up not enjoying what they're doing. Well, and like, I hate to beat the communist drum, but like this is what happens when you build a society for the owners of the factories, right? Like, if you had a worker-built system, then a person would be able to pursue their passions, figure out what it is they're good at, and then as a community, we can make them a job. You can find them a job to do the thing that they're good at because that is what we're all interested in. But a corporation is not interested in finding out what you're good at and making a job for that. They're interested in having a replaceable identical peg that they can just put in a slot and replace with another peg as soon as you cost too much money yeah i also think this is a problem with we expect people to do the same thing for 40 years and not get bored right like which is crazy which is crazy you do not need to do the same job for your entire life like change jobs Doing the same thing over and over again gets boring, no matter what it is. Even if you love what you're doing, it gets boring and repetitive and harder and harder to do each year. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the the struggle to be cool and the the breaking into the high school party? Yeah. Because that's sort of the main runner of episode three of season two. We got off on a... (laughs) I I was not expecting that to go that I bring it up because... Ginger gets a reputation for being... A nice girl. Right. But then, yeah, she goes to the party, and after the part, like, some rumors fly around, and everybody starts, you know... She gets a reputation after that for being fast, I think is the word that they use. I think slut is the word we would have used. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just am curious... If that was a thing that you dealt with, obviously, like, as a masculine kid, there's the expectation is not the same. And I'm just wondering if this was a thing for you or anyone you knew. I cannot stress enough how uncool I was in high school. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast. Uh, Just a couple of nerds wondering about what cool kids did. I, like... I remember the rumors of people. I remember not believing a lot of them Uh and a lot of them being like a a very much like this kind of story of like, you know, they talk to each other and all of a sudden the rumor is they were having sex in the backyard or whatever. And like, because my world was so small and so rule following and Uh like, you know, very uh, predictable, I didn't understand how other people's lives could be like these TV shows when like, so I like didn't really buy into the rumors. Yeah. Cause I was like that, 
That, that seems... That seems a lot. That seems like a lot. <laughs> that, like, are you sure? She seems like a really nice kid. But also, I was very, very uncool and <laughs> uh, didn't have, like, my friends were not... My friends were very supportive of each other in dating. Yeah. But also, my friends and I didn't really talk about sex. Interesting. Which, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was a either. me thing that they didn't talk about with, or if, like, <laughs> but, like, it just wasn't something that I remember talking about a lot, especially after I came out. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it was, it's kind of, that whole, like, sex in high school world is very, very yeah. weird to me, because I have not really, I have no experience. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I was, I, I, yeah, I never had, I did nothing to get rumors spread about me. <laughs> Same. Me neither. Although I'm sure there were plenty of rumors about me being like a sociopath or something <laughs> in school because I just like could not have given less of a fuck. People used to like pick on me and I was just like, I, this means I feel, I feel nothing. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, this episode four is a juicy one. Yeah. To get is. into this. Yeah. Because first of all, the whole, the whole setup of the episode is that nurses, the nurses are on strike because nurses are always always overworked and underpaid in all places ever yeah this was something that like i could actually i actually could relate to this one that i was not expecting because if you remember our dear old dumbass governor scott walker back in wisconsin how could i forget right teachers ended up going on a strike I remember because he slashed the education budget right so like which was interesting because one i was out of school for like a while but also my mom wasn't working right because she's a teacher she's a teacher and she's definitely pro-union yeah and so like it was it was very like i don't i don't remember the because i lived in a two income household it was the money thing was a little less worrisome and i do remember getting involved in protests and marches and like using the time to like go to student organized shit which like was really interesting and a really cool yeah. introduction into like social movements. I totally think kids should get exposed to more of that stuff than they do. Yeah, my uh <laughs> one of my favorite history teachers was on the Daily Show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she got interviewed by John Oliver when he was still on the Daily Show cuz he came to Madison with blow up uh, palm trees because Fox News had used footage from riots in Cairo to represent what was happening in Madison. Jesus. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. But yeah, the, like, I, maybe it's the being poor now and having been poor for the last handful of years of my life. Uh But like, I don't understand, like, I can see, I understand the writing point of view, but like, I don't understand Ginger's shame around her mom being a cleaner. Like, I also had, like, but I also had friends in middle school and uh, high school whose mom were professional cleaners, and like, it was just kind of, like, normalized for me, and it was, like, a legitimate job and not something to be ashamed of. I think, um, I think I could speak to this because I think there is definitely a culture among, among working class people of not seeming working class. Uh-huh. That being working class or being poor is somehow embarrassing inherently. 
Um, because, you know, the American dream, we're all expected to be, like, millionaires who own our own business. Right. Which is impossible. But, yeah, I definitely remember growing up, I mean, I definitely remember growing up and having my mom, like, explicitly tell me, like, oh, you can't tell people we can't afford this because it'll embarrass me. Or, you know, like, you can't tell people that, whatever, I can't pick you up because I'm that would that would embarrass me right and there's just like I think it's part of the shame of like shaming people into not being poor anymore yeah that you're like not even allowed to admit that you are poor right okay that makes sense that totally makes sense because we have this like American culture has this idea that we're all just like temporarily embarrassed billionaires and like just you know this is just a minor setback and as soon as i get back on my feet i'll be a billionaire right like i'm supposed to be so anything that doesn't comport with that like narrative has to be hidden you know yeah that makes sense that absolutely makes sense i like i can see ginger wanting to hide it from people like courtney and miranda because they obviously are gonna like they they actively use it against her and like but i do really appreciate that this episode really pointed out the quality time that ginger gets with her mom versus courtney whose mom is like never there right and like has courtney be jealous of that and like show that like not like there are it can be difficult to deal with this because there will be girls who are going to be bullying but there are you know there's always a silver lining or there's always something you can do to like make yourself feel better in the moment totally and i thought that was really sweet yeah oh teenage girl fights oh yeah oh boy did you ever have to take sides in a friend war i don't think so I don't think I was ever involved in a friend war. Or, again, we talk about this a lot. I may have been, and I didn't know it. <laughs> As I'm now learning happened to me a lot in school, I there was all kinds of stuff going on around me that I just wasn't aware of. <laughs> yeah, I remember when people fought in the friend group, especially certain friends who had a tendency to be a little oh, I don't I don't like the word controversial over, no I don't like the word over dramatic because like as a teenager it's everything's kind of over dramatic yeah it's but like they were one they were drama filled yeah and, you know like I definitely caused a few friend wars <laughs> and like I remember like especially when a f- close friend of yours does something that like questions your loyalty or like questions your like questions your status as friends like you get so defensive yeah and like because like that is your life like your right. social circle is your life it's especially at the, your identity in this at this point yeah. right and like having that whole like that have everything shaken up because something happened that like that like y- something you did is being questioned or like you have to make a choice of like between two friends of like who did the right thing or who did the wrong thing when you're just want to say you're both idiots and you just need to talk to each other. Right, right. Yeah, just talk to each other. It, it's a lot. About. Plus teenage girls are mean. Yeah. Teenage girls are 
they know they're mean and they know it and they embrace it and it is horrifying. Do you think I have this theory that this is a symptom of internalized misogyny? Oh, absolutely. And the idea that there are a limited number of slots for women to be successful and therefore women have to tear each other down because you don't want another woman to be successful because that means you can't be. It's like a zero-sum game Oh, thing. absolutely. And especially because we're fighting for the men. Right, exactly. Which is, as if so, it, no, men are not worth it. You, Your friendships are much more important than right. some dude. Yeah. And, yeah, it just... It's wild to me. It it always shook me to my core when my friends were fighting or if I was fighting with my friends. It's interesting to me that Miranda's whole identity seems to be wrapped up in being someone's, like, sidekick. Yeah, it or, does. Or, yeah, someone's, you know, like, supporter. Like, I... It's... Do you know anyone like this? Have you known anyone like this who kind of doesn't have a personality except to hang out with someone who does have a personality and support them? Like, I feel like we see this trope a lot in, like, TV and movies and stuff, but, like, I know some real human beings like this. Oh, I do, too. It wasn't necessarily, like... Of supporting a friend, but like I knew a few kids who didn't have a personality unless they were dating someone, and then they took on that person's personality. Totally, or, that's another version of that. Or you know, like would I? I was kind of like that. Also, like I definitely like when I was when, because I moved schools in middle school and I like lost my entire friend group. I remember not knowing who I was or how to move through a world in my new world and like try to make friends when everyone already seemed to have established relationships because they had been together for a year already. Yeah. Um, And that was really tricky, but I definitely, this is like definitely a type of person I've seen in the wild of like relying on other people to be interesting. Yeah. And I think it just... I think it just belies, like, a lack of self-esteem, and, like, I think that points to, I mean, I think as a culture, we do a pretty good job of destroying self-esteem and not supporting the building of self-esteem, especially in young women, and it just kind of feels sad because, you know, like, have you ever been in a relationship that was like maybe codependent, maybe a little unhealthy, maybe you were too involved. Have and you then, met me? Yes. Uh, and then you break up, and I don't want to say this is a universal experience, but the one time this happened to me, uh, that breakup really like broke my brain. Yeah. And it really forced me to sit with myself and figure out who it was I wanted to be as a person and what it was I was doing with my life and what my actual, like, goals and values were. Yeah. And, like, notably, that's when I started doing comedy. Yeah. Seriously, anyway. Like, you know, and I I just feel like it's kind of sad that Miranda doesn't have that, um, that sort of reckoning experience because... 
I kind of feel like the more of those self-reckoning experiences you can have, especially as a child where you have a support system, the better. I don't think we let our children have those moments until they're older. Cause I'm knowing your timeline and knowing you like that breakup happened when you were in your mid twenties and like, that's where one of mine was too. Like I, the couple I used to date, which I've mentioned on the podcast before I went to work at summer camp and got, ghosted and completely cut out and like you know came back to nothing Mm -hmm. and having like i had just lost my job i had just lost my relationship i like had that like weird but i was 19 at the time and like was able to control my life and Uh make those decisions to like figure out who i am i don't think i was capable of doing that in middle school i don't think we a give our kids the tools to be able to be capable to do that and two we don't give our our kids autonomy to be able to move on from those dark spaces because like it very much i definitely had moments in high school where looking back i'm like this is what i could have done and this could have been so much better for me and like i knew in high school like i what could solve my problems or like what could make me feel better as myself but I couldn't get to them because of I don't have the money. I don't have the freedom. I'm not 18. Yeah. I have to get parent permission, you know? Totally. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's hard being in that kind of space and knowing you need to change something or there's something that is not, that you are not happy with about yourself yeah. and not feeling and not feeling empowered to, to do, do so. Yeah. 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 Oh, I have in my notes, I don't know if this was a thing, but I just have to say it. Mrs. Grippling is doing a My Fair Lady with Yes, lady. she is! <laughs> she, like, dresses him up nice and, like, teaches him to talk right and then, like, parades him around. I was like, oh, they're doing a My Fair Lady. <laughs> Ah, I love it. Uh, oh, my fair lady, what a show! What uh, I do think it's fun. Uh, this I didn't occur to me until this exact moment, but I do kind of have a point about this. It's fun that you know Carl and Hoodsy get involved in this whole scheme to help Mrs. Grippling right. get elected because they're trying to buy. Um, a lie detector right used lie detector from like a pawn shop and they it's funny they're like i feel like this is a good analogy for like what happens to real human beings in on a larger scale like they start doing this thing that is like maybe a little bit morally compromised Mm -hmm. in order to get a specific goal and they just are like great once we're done with this once we get this specific thing then we don't have to do this morally compromised thing anymore but then by the time they get there, the benefits of doing the morally compromised thing are so big that they actually forget about the initial goal. And then the thing becomes the thing. Yeah. And it becomes self-perpetuating yeah. to the point where they don't even remember why it was they were there in the first place. Right. Which... Which, I mean, I feel like happens to people... All the time. In business and, in, you know, in, in adult life all the time where... You think, well, oh, if I get this good job, then I can, you know, I can have time, you know, I'll save a bunch of money and I'll have more time to spend it with my kids or we'll be able to go on vacations and stuff like that. And then you get caught up doing the job right? that you don't end up 
actually being able to do those things, you don't end up being able to enjoy the fruits of your labor because the labor becomes the thing. Or looking back at, uh, if we look back at, say, anything, like you're doing it for your child so they can benefit and you just keep going and going and going. Without ever thinking about the consequences. consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that's a really good point. And I think... I think this is also a really good illustration of what wealth can do to you as you like the you lose sight of your original goals and like yeah. who you are and you get wrapped up in the world of the rich right, and the, the trappings, yeah. and all of it and like which is like when when people say money like when everyone's like oh the money won't change me it's like no it will like it absolutely will it always does yeah and like that's why we can't ever have uh, good CEOs or right. like positive or um, right. you know morally acceptable yeah. CEOs. It's because like all CEOs are bastards in the same way that all cops are. Exactly. Like, like the system, system is broken, and even if you're trying to do the right thing, you're still benefiting massively from a broken system that exploits people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>